Section 1 of Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tori Falder. Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Preface in presenting Ben the Luggage Boy to the public as the fifth of the Ragged Dick series, the author desires to say that it is in all essential points a true history, the particulars of the story having been communicated to him by Ben himself nearly two years since. In particular, the circumstances attending the boys running away from home and adopting the life of a street boy are in strict accordance with Ben's own statement. While some of the street incidents are borrowed from the writer's own observation, those who are really familiar with the different phases which street life assumes in New York will readily recognize their fidelity. The chapter entitled The Room Under the Wharf will recall to many readers of the daily journals a paragraph which made its appearance within two years. The writer cannot close without expressing anew his thanks for the large share of favor which has been accorded to the volumes of the present series and takes this opportunity of saying that, in their preparation, invention has played but a subordinate part. For his delineations of character and choice of incidents, he has been mainly indebted to his own observation, aided by valuable communications and suggestions from those who have been brought into familiar acquaintance with the class whose mode of life he has sought to describe. New York, April 5, 1876. Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, Chapter 1 introduces Ben, the luggage boy. How much you made this morning, Ben? Nary red, answered Ben composedly. Had your breakfast? Only an apple. That's all I've eaten since yesterday. It's most time for the train to be in from Philadelphia. I'm laying round for a job. The first speaker was a short, freckle-faced boy whose box strapped to his back identified him at once as a street boot black. His hair was red, his fingers defaced by stains of blacking, and his clothing constructed on the most approved system of ventilation. He appeared to be about 12 years old. The boy, whom he addressed as Ben, was taller and looked older. He was probably not far from 16. His face and hands, though browned by exposure to wind and weather, were several shades cleaner than those of his companion. His face, too, was of a less common type. It was easy to see that if he had been well-dressed, he might readily have been taken for a gentleman's son but in his present attire there was little chance of this mistake being made. His pants, marked by a green stripe, small around the waist and very broad at the hips, had evidently once belonged to a Bowery swell, for the Bowery has its swells as well as Broadway, its more aristocratic neighbor. The vest had been discarded as a needless luxury, its place being partially supplied by a shirt of thick red flannel. This was covered by a frock coat, which might once have belonged to a member of the Fat Men's Association being aldermanic in its proportions. Now it was fallen from its high estate, its nap and original gloss had long departed, and it was frayed and torn in many places. But among the street boys, dress is not much regarded, and Ben never thought of apologizing for the defects of his wardrobe. We shall learn in time what were his faults and what his virtues, for I can assure my readers that street boys do have virtues sometimes and when they are thoroughly convinced that a questioner feels an interest in them, will drop the shaft in which they commonly indulge, and talk seriously and feelingly of their faults and hardships. Some do this for a purpose, no doubt, and the verdant stranger is liable to be taken in by assumed virtue, and waste sympathy on those who do not deserve it. 
but there are also many boys who have good tendencies and aspirations and only need to be encouraged and placed under right influences to develop into worthy and respectable men. The conversation recorded above took place at the foot of Cortland Street, opposite the ferry wharf. It was nearly time for the train, and there was the usual scene of confusion. Express wagons, hacks, boys, laborers were gathering, presenting a confusing medley to the eye of one unaccustomed to the spectacle. Ben was a luggage boy, his occupation being to wait at the piers for the arrival of steamboats or at the railway stations on the chance of getting a carpet bag or valise to carry. His business was a precarious one. Sometimes he was lucky, sometimes unlucky. When he was flush, he treated himself to a square meal and finished up the day at Tony Pastor's or the Old Bowery, where from his seat in the pit he indulged in independent criticism of the acting as he leaned back in his seat and munched peanuts, throwing the shells about carelessly. It is not surprising that the street boys like the Old Bowery and are willing to stint their stomachs or run the risk of a night in the streets for the sake of the warm room and the glittering illusions of the stage, introducing them for the time being to the society of nobles and ladies of high birth and enabling them to forget for a time the hardships of their own lot, while they follow with rapt interest the fortunes of Lord Frederick Montresor or the Lady Imogene Delacour. Strange as it may seem, the street Arab has a decided fancy for these pictures of aristocracy and never suspects their want of fidelity. When the play ends and Lord Frederick comes to his own, having foiled all the schemes of his crafty and unprincipled enemies, no one rejoices more than the ragged boy who has sat through the evening an interested spectator of the play, and in his pleasure at the successful denouement, he almost forgets that he will probably find the newsboy's lodging house closed for the night and be compelled to take up with such sleeping accommodations as the street may provide. Ben crossed the street, taking a straight course, without paying especial attention to the mud, which caused other pedestrians to pick their way. To the condition of his shoes, he was supremely indifferent. Stockings he did not wear. They are luxuries in which few street boys indulge. He had not long to wait. The boat bumped against the wharf, and directly a crowd of passengers poured through the open gates in a continuous stream. Ben looked sharply around him to judge who would be likely to employ him. His attention was drawn to an elderly lady with a large carpet bag swelled almost to bursting. She was looking about her in a bewildered manner. "'Carry your bag, ma'am,' he said, at the same time motioning towards it. "'Who be you?' asked the old lady suspiciously. "'I'm a baggage smasher,' said Ben. "'Then I don't want you,' answered the old lady, clinging to her bag as if she feared it would be wrested from her. "'I'm surprised that the law allows such things.' You might be in a better business, young man, than smashing baggage. That's where you're right, old lady, said Ben. Banking would pay better if I only had the money to start on. Are you much acquainted in New York? asked the old lady. Yes, said Ben. I know the mayor and aldermen and all the principal men. A.T. Stewart's my intimate friend, and I dine with Vanderbilt every Sunday when I ain't engaged at Astor's. Do you wear them clothes when you visit your fine friends? asked the old lady shrewdly. No, said Ben, them are my everyday clothes. I've got some velvet clothes to home embroidered with gold. I believe you are telling fibs, said the old lady. What I want to know is, if you know my daughter, Mrs. John Jones, her first name is Serafini. She lives on Bleecker Street, and her husband, who is a nice man, though his head is bald on top, keeps a grocery store. Of course I do, said Ben. It was only yesterday that she told me her mother was a-coming to see her. I might have knowed you was she. How would you have known? Because she told me just how you looked. Did she? How did she say I looked? 
She said you was most 90 and it isn't true, said the old lady indignantly. I'm only 73 and everybody says I'm wonderful young looking for my years. I don't believe Serafini told you so. She might have said you looked as if you was most 90. You're a sassy boy, said the owner of the carpet bag indignantly. I don't see how I'm going to get up to Serafini's, she continued complainingly. They'd ought to have come down to meet me. How much will you charge to carry my carpet bag and show me the way to my daughter's? Fifty cents, said Ben. Fifty cents, repeated the old lady aghast. I didn't think you'd charge more than ten. I have to, said Ben. Board's high in New York. How much would they charge me in a carriage? Here you, sir, addressing a hackman. What'll you charge to carry me to my daughter's house, Mrs. John Jones in Bleecker Street? What's the number? I think it's a hundred and sixty-three. A dollar and a half. A dollar and a half? Couldn't you do it for less? Carry your bag, sir? asked Ben of a gentleman passing. The gentleman shook his head. He made one or two other proposals, which being in like manner unsuccessful, he returned to the old lady, who, having by this time got through her negotiations with the hackman, whom she had vainly striven to beat down to seventy-five cents, was in a more favorable mood to accept Ben's services. Can't you take less than fifty cents? she asked. No, said Ben decidedly. I'll give you forty. Couldn't do it, said Ben, who felt sure of gaining his point now. Well, I suppose I shall be obliged to hire you, said the old lady with a sigh. Serafini ought to have sent down to meet me. I didn't tell her I was coming today, but she might have thought I'd come, being so pleasant. Here, you boy, you may take the bag, and mind you don't run away with it. There ain't nothing in it but some of my clothes. I don't want none of your clothes, said Ben. My wife's bigger than you, and they wouldn't fit her. Massy sakes, you ain't married, be you? Why shouldn't I be? I don't believe it. You're not old enough, but I'm glad you don't want the clothes. They wouldn't be of no use to you. Just you take the bag and I'll follow her on behind. I want my pay first. I ain't got the change. My daughter, Serafini, will pay you when we get to her house. That don't go down, said Ben decidedly. Payment in advance. That's the way I do business. You'll get your pay. Don't you be afraid. I know I shall, but I want it now. You won't run away after I've paid you, will you? Of course not. That ain't my style. The old lady took out her purse and drew therefrom 47 cents. She protested that she had not a cent more. Ben pardoned the deficiency, feeling that he would, notwithstanding, be well paid for his time. All right, he said magnanimously. I don't mind the three cents. It ain't any object to a man of my income. Take my hand, old lady, and we'll go across the street. I'm afraid of being run over, she said hesitatingly. What's the odds if you be, said Ben. The city will have to pay you damages. But if I got killed, that wouldn't do me any good, remarked the old lady sensibly. Then the money'd go to your friend, said Ben consolingly. Do you think I will be run over, asked the old lady anxiously. In course you won't. I'll take care of you. They wouldn't dare to run over me, said Ben confidently. Somewhat reassured by this remark, the old lady submitted to Ben's guidance and was piloted across the street in safety. I wouldn't live in New York for a heap of money. It would be as much as my life is worth, she remarked. How far is Bleecker Street? About two miles. I almost wish I'd rid, but a dollar and a half is a sight to pay. You'd have to pay more than that. That's all the man asked. I know, said Ben. But when he'd got you there, he'd have charged you five dollars. I wouldn't have paid it. Yes, you would, said Ben. He couldn't make me. If he didn't pay, he'd have locked you in and driven you off to the river and dumped you in. 
Do they ever do such things? asked the old lady, startled. In course they do. Only last week a beautiful young lady was served that way because she wouldn't pay what the hackman wanted. And what was done to him? Nothing, said Ben. The police is in league with them and get their share of the money. Why, you don't say so. What a wicked place New York is, to be sure. Of course it is. It's so wicked I'm going to the country myself as soon as I get money enough to buy a farm. Have you got much money saved up? asked the old lady interested. Four thousand six hundred and seventy-seven dollars and fifty-five cents. I don't count this money you give me, because I'm going to spend it. You didn't make it all carrying carpet bags, said the old lady incredulously. No, I made most of it speculating in real estate, said Ben. You don't say. Yes, I do. You've got most enough to buy a farm already. I ain't going to buy till I can buy a good one. What's the name of this street? West Broadway. They were really upon West Broadway by this time, that being as direct a line as any to Bleecker Street. You see that store, said Ben? Yes. What's the matter of it? I don't own it now, said Ben. I sold it because the tenants didn't pay their rent regular. I should think you'd dress better if you've got so much money, said the old lady, not unnaturally. What's the use of wearing nice clothes round among the wharves, said Ben. There's something in that. I tell my daughter June she lives in the country that it's no use dressing up the children to go to school. They're sure to get their clothes tore and dirty before they get home. So Ben beguiled the way with wonderful stories, with which he played upon the old lady's credulity. Of course, it was wrong, but a street education is not very likely to inspire its pupils with a reverence for truth. And Ben had been knocking about the streets of New York most of the time among the wharves for six years. His street education had commenced at the age of ten. He had adopted it of his own free will. Even now there was a comfortable home waiting for him. There were parents who supposed him dead, and who would have found a difficulty in recognizing him under his present circumstances. In the next chapter, a light will be thrown upon his past history, and the reader will learn how his street life began. Chapter 2. How Ben Commenced His Street Life One pleasant morning, six years before the date at which the story commences, a small coasting vessel drew up at a North River pier in the lower part of the city. It was loaded with freight, but there was at least one passenger on board, a boy of ten, dressed in a neat jacket and pants of gray mixed cloth, stood on deck, watching with interest the busy city which they had just reached. Well, bub, here we are, said the captain as he passed. I suppose you know your way home. Yes, sir. Are you going on shore now? Yes, sir. Well, good luck to you, my lad. If you are ever down this way when I'm in port, I shall be glad to see you. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye. Ben clambered over the side and stepped upon the wharf. In the great city he knew no one, and he was an utter stranger to the streets, never before having visited it. He was about to begin life for himself at the age of ten. He had voluntarily undertaken to support himself, leaving behind him a comfortable home, where he had been well cared for. I must explain how this came about. Ben had a pleasant face and would be considered good-looking, but there was a flash in his eye when aroused which showed that he had a quick temper and there was an expression of firmness, unusual to one so young, which might have been read by an experienced physiognomist. He was quick-tempered, proud, and probably obstinate. Yet with these qualities, he was pleasant in his manners and had a sense of humor, which made him a favorite among his companions. His father was a coal dealer in a town a few miles distant from Philadelphia, of a hasty temper like Ben himself. A week before, he had punished Ben severely for a fault which he had not committed. 
The boy's pride revolted at the injustice, and, young as he was, he resolved to run away. I suppose there are few boys who do not form this resolution at some time or other in their lives, but as a general thing it amounts to nothing. With Ben it was different. His was a strong nature, whether for good or for evil, and when he decided to do anything he was not easily moved from his resolve. He forgot, in the present case, that though he had been unjustly punished, the injustice was not intentional on the part of his father, who had been under a wrong impression respecting him. But, right or wrong, Ben made up his mind to run away, and he did so. It was two or three days before a good opportunity presented itself. Then, with a couple of shirts and collars rolled up in a small bundle, he made his escape to Philadelphia and after roaming about the streets for several hours, he made his way to the wharves, where he found a vessel bound for New York. Representing to the captain that he lived in New York and had no money to pay his passage home, that officer, who was a good-natured man, agreed to carry him for nothing. The voyage was now over, and Ben landed, as we have said, an utter stranger, with very indefinite ideas as to how he was to make his living. He had told the captain that he knew his way home, for having falsely represented that he lived in New York, he was in a manner compelled to this additional falsehood. Still, in spite of his friendless condition, his spirits were very good. The sun shone brightly, all looked animated and cheerful. Ben saw numbers of men at work about him, and he thought, it will be a pity if I cannot make a living. He did not care to linger about the wharf, for the captain might be led to doubt his story. Accordingly, he crossed the street, and at a venture turned up a street facing the wharf. Ben did not know much about New York, even by report, but he had heard of Broadway, as who has not, and this was about all he did know. When, therefore, he had gone a short distance, he ventured to ask a bootblack, whom he encountered at the corner of the next block, "'Can you tell me the shortest way to Broadway?' "'Follow your nose, Johnny,' was the reply. "'My name isn't Johnny,' replied Ben, rather indignant at the familiarity." He had not learned that in New York, Johnny is the generic name for boy, where the specific name is unknown. Ain't it, though, returned the boot black. What's the price of turnips out where you live? I'll make your nose turn up if you ain't careful, retorted Ben wrathfully. You'll do, said the boot black, favorably impressed by Ben's pluck. Just go straight ahead and you'll come to Broadway. I'm going that way and you can come along with me if you want to. Thank you, said Ben, appeased by the boy's changed manner. Are you going to stay here? inquired his new acquaintance. Yes, said Ben. I'm going to live here. Where do your friends live? I haven't got any friends in New York, said Ben with a little hesitation. Over in Brooklyn or Jersey, maybe? No, I don't know anybody this way. Woo, whistled the other. How are you going to live? I expect to earn my living, said Ben in a tone of importance. Father and mother dead? No, they're alive. I suppose they're poor. No, they're not. They're well off. The boot black looked puzzled. Why didn't you stay at home then? Wouldn't they let you? Of course they would. The fact is, I've run away. Maybe they'd adopt me instead of you. I don't think they would, said Ben, laughing. I wish somebody with lots of cash would adopt me and make a gentleman of me. It would be a good sight better than black and boots. Do you make much money that way, inquired Ben. Pleasant days like this, sometimes I make a dollar, but when it rains, there ain't much doing. How much have you made this morning? asked Ben with interest. Sixty cents. Sixty cents? And it isn't more than ten o'clock. That's doing pretty well. Tain't so good in the afternoon. Most everybody gets their boots blacked in the morning. What are you going to do? I don't know, said Ben. 
Going to Black Boots? I'll show you how, said the other, generously overlooking all considerations of possible rivalry. I don't think I should like that very well, said Ben slowly. Having been brought up in a comfortable home, he had a prejudice in favor of clean hands and unsoiled clothes, a prejudice of which his street life speedily cured him. I think I should rather sell papers or go into a store, said Ben. You can't make so much money selling papers, said his new acquaintance. Then you might get stuck. What's that? inquired Ben innocently. Don't you know? asked the boot black wonderingly. Why, it's when you've got more papers than you can sell. That's what takes off the profits. I was a newsboy once, but it's too hard work for the money. There ain't no chance of getting stuck on my business. It's rather a dirty business, said Ben, venturing to state his main objection, at the risk of offending. But Jerry Collins, for that was his name, was not very sensitive on this score. What's the odds, he said indifferently. A feller gets used to it. Ben looked at Jerry's begrimed hands and clothes liberally marked with spots of blacking, and he felt that he was not quite ready to get used to appearing in public this way. He was yet young in his street life. The time came when he ceased to be so particular. Where do you board? asked Ben after a little pause. Jerry Collins stared at the questioner as if he suspected that a joke was intended, but Ben's serious face assured him that he was in earnest. You're jolly green, he remarked sententiously. Look here, said Ben with spirit. I'll give you a licking if you say that again. It may be considered rather singular that Jerry, instead of resenting this threat, was led by it to regard Ben with favor. I didn't mean anything, he said by way of apology. You're a trump, and you'll get over it when you've been in the city a week. What made you call me green, asked Ben. Did you think I boarded up to the Fifth Avenue, asked Jerry. What's that, a hotel? Yes, it's one of the big hotels where they eat off gold plates. No, I don't suppose you board there, said Ben, laughing. But I suppose there are cheaper boarding places. Where do you sleep? Sometimes in wagons or in doorways, on the docks, or anywhere I get a chance. Don't you get cold sleeping outdoors, asked Ben. Oh, I'm used to it, said Jerry. When it's cold, I go to the lodging house. What's that? Jerry explained that there was a newsboy's lodging house, where a bed could be obtained for six cents a night. That's cheap, said Ben. Taint so cheap as sleeping outdoors, returned the boot black. This was true, but Ben thought he would rather pay the six cents than sleep out if it were only for the damage likely to come to his clothes, which were yet clean and neat. Looking at Jerry's suit, however, he saw that this consideration would be likely to have less weight with him. He began to understand that he had entered upon a very different life from the one he had hitherto led. He was not easily daunted, however. If he can stand it, I can, he said to himself. End of section one. Recording by Tori Falder.